Hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. Turn to somebody and say, how you doing? <laughs> I love that. That's, you know who I'm quoting, right? Joey Tribbiani. Anybody know? Okay, yeah. All right, there you go. Good to see everybody here. Hey, if you are a guest, we live for newcomers around here. We love that you're here. Let's hear it for our guest today. Want to welcome you to North Point. By the way, I, I just want to say, talking about our extreme days, um, if you want to be on a great weight loss program, serve in kids' ministry. Kids' ministry, is, it's better than GB3. So I would encourage you just to jump in uh, and get involved. It, we had such an amazing week. Hey, we're also excited about today because we are kicking off a series of messages that I'm calling Believing. How do you believe despite Christians? And we're talking about those things that we see in the church that make it challenging for us to believe in what the church is selling, if I could put it that way. Certainly, it is the way that a lot of non-churchgoers would put it. And we're going to be talking about some heavy things over the next several weeks. Um, we're going to be talking about things like hypocrisy and judgmentalism and a lack of compassion. We're going to be talking about things that typically characterize a non-churchgoer's perspective of what Christians are like today. In fact, this is a great chance for you to invite your non-believing friends or non-Christian friends so that they can go, amen, that's right, they are, you know. And uh, we're going to talk about things like blind faith or ex uh, exclusive truth. In other words, these are the things that are stumbling blocks to a lot of people. Why? Why are we doing that? I want for you to notice the scripture that was read today, right from the beginning. It says that Peter warned them. He said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And then they began to get baptized. Now, do we all understand that when these people were being baptized in the first century, Peter was not just asking for a private individual conversion. Now, I will admit that as Americans, we think that that's what it is. In fact, we tend to use phrases like my personal confession of faith or my faith and things like that. And the only reason we do that is because we live in a very individualistic society. But I want to say to you today that that is not really all that Peter was asking for. When somebody comes to know Jesus Christ, they're not just making an individual personal confession. No, when he said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation in his day, in particular by being baptized, what he's asking for is, I want you to identify with a new generation. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Identify with a new generation or a new community, a new society, a new humanity, a new kingdom. And by the way, my wife tells me, I say by the way way too much. You might get a lot of by the ways today. Forgive me, I'm trying to get over it. But by being baptized, what he's saying is, you will no longer identify with this corrupt generation or these people. Your identification should belong to the church. In other words, now that you've been baptized, you belong to the family of God. You belong to the way. You belong to the church. So for example, that's why our theme this year is this word together. Because together, God has called us to be something. So 
You will notice as you read the scripture, you're going to begin to see what I just pointed out to you. You'll begin to notice it over and over again. How many of you, you know, you bought a new car and you thought nobody else had it until you bought it and started driving it around? And then you noticed, man, everybody's driving this. I'm not as unique as I thought. Now what's going to happen as I'm pointing this out to you, as you begin to read through the New Testament, you're going to start noticing several of Paul's letters hit on this theme regarding identification to a new community. For example, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the church of Corinth. You remember that? We were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we looked at some of the other parts of that particular letter to the church. I want to go back to chapter 6. You'll notice it here. Paul writes and he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now he's talking about a group that is outside the kingdom, outside the church, outside the community. And he describes them. He says, here's how you know them. He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers. It's quite a list, isn't it? He says, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. And then notice the next phrase, because this is key. You might underline it. He says, let's read it together. And such were some of you. Notice there's been a shift. These are the groups that you used to identify with. That's who you were. That is no longer who you are. He goes on. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, he's actually talking about identification with a new society, a new community, a new group of people. And again, I said, you'll begin to see this all throughout the scripture. Notice in Galatians chapter 3, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith, for you were all baptized, here it is again, baptized into who? Jesus Christ. And you have clothed yourself now with who? Christ, and then he goes on and he says, because of that, watch this. This is so powerful, guys. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile now. In other words, your ethnos groups should no longer identify you primarily. Yeah, those things that used to be so important to you, they become secondary. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Also, there is neither slave nor free there is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to who? To Christ. Then you actually belong to a new group. And he calls that group what? What does he call them? Abraham's seed, which was a reference to the people of God or the people of Israel. Paul's saying something amazing here. He's saying it's not even the people of Israel anymore who are the people of God. It is those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. They are the people of God. And because of that, they are the heirs according to the promise. Now, Guys, what's he talking about? You gotta follow me here. Identification with a new community, the church. Here's the problem. An objection will usually come here, something like this. You'll say, but pastor, I don't like the church. I like Jesus, but I don't like Christians. And here's what happens. Even among Christians today, Christians will say things like, Wait, well, that's okay. Don't look at Christians, just look at Jesus. They'll say, after all, we know that the church is bad. 
fact, you may have said this to somebody who you know, you have, that's a non-believing friend. You'll say, yeah, I don't like the church much either. The church has problems. But just look at Jesus, you'll say. Now, friends, I want to appeal to you. There is a problem with saying that. The problem is, is that Jesus invented the church. The church is his vision, Jesus is the one who upholds the church. Jesus is the one who sustains the church. Jesus is not surprised about what the church has become. Do you realize that? Jesus understands full well what we are, and yet he's still the chief pastor of the church. You say, well, man, I don't like the pastor of that church. Guess what? The chief pastor is Jesus Christ. You can't say you like Jesus, but you hate his church. It doesn't seem very productive. You can't say you hate what he foreknew, you hate what he designed, you hate what he created. I want to suggest to you there's a better way. I think a better way is for you and I to try to get back to a vision of what Jesus had in mind in the first place. In other words, yes, we have failed to measure up, but God had something beautiful in mind, and that's what I want to be. And hopefully that's what you want to be. What was the church supposed to be? What are we supposed to be together? So each week, I'm going to very directly deal with a problem within the church, and I want us to try and look at the scriptures, and I want us to get back to what we're supposed to be, if that's okay. Does that sound good? So let's talk today. We said we start out by talking about Christian hypocrisy, and I'm going to deal with three questions. Here they are. I want to talk to you about what is it? What is Christian hypocrisy? I want to talk to you about why is it? Why does the church struggle with hypocrisy so much? And, and let me hold here for just a moment. When I say the church, I, I'm not just meaning the institution of the church. There are problems with the institution of the church. There are problems with this institution that we call North Point because there is no one perfect besides Jesus. But when I say the church, I don't mean the institution. What I'm really talking about are you and me. I'm talking about us. Why do we struggle with hypocrisy? And then I want to talk to, to you about how do we deal with it? How do we minimize it so that we can live with greater integrity? So let me just start with this. Before we even have you write anything down, can I just say to you, I've never met a person that truly wants to live a hypocritical life. Do you know that? <laughs> Is that surprising to you? Nobody I've ever met says, boy, pastor, I really want to live with duplicity. Boy, pastor, I really want to live a broken life. Have you ever met anybody that really wants that? No, of course you haven't. If you have met somebody that's like that, then they've got some mental emotional issues they need to see someone about. But nobody wakes up and says, boy, today I want to do something really evil. Who does that? In other words, let's just admit from the get-go, I don't know anybody that wants to be a hypocrite, even the ones that seem to do it so well. And yet, I'm going to admit to you here that we're burdened by it. One of the scriptures that we just read out of Acts was that the church enjoyed the favor of all the people. We don't today. We enjoy the disdain of people. What was it about the church that they lived in such a way that they enjoyed the favor of people? Well, there are problems with the institution. In fact, uh, my wife and I, we started both documentaries that you'll find on Amazon right now. They've both been recently released about the institution. One is called Shiny Happy People. Anybody hear of it? 
It's really a story about Christian fundamentalism, which, yes, does have its problems. And there is a problem when people think that Christians are just happy, clappy people. <laughs> because we're not. That's not all we are. And then, of course, there's another documentary that's out there, and it's The Secrets of Hillsong. And there have been a lot of documentaries about Hillsong. And, and of course, these are speaking to the institutions and think whatever you want about the documentaries themselves. The question that we should be asking is, how does this happen to any of us? I've got to tell you, there are people that look to me as the senior pastor of North Point today, and they look at me with, with great suspect. And, and I know that because I get connection cards or people meet with me or they ask me questions in intu an intuitive way, assuming that I must have false motives about something. And sometimes I just think to myself, how did this happen? I used to be a guy that just loved Jesus and wanted to share him. Suddenly, because it's the institution, and we don't trust the institution anymore, do we? Well, why is it? Well, if I can, let's just start with this thought. Let's just talk about hypocrisy generally. Would you agree that real Christian hypocrisy is a lot like any other kind of hypocrisy? Now, I will admit to you that the implications are different. I will admit to you that the accountability before God is different. But in terms of what hypocrisy is, what we're dealing with, no matter what your faith background, no matter what your persuasion, your faith perspective, or lack thereof, when we talk about hypocrisy, we're really talking about a human problem, aren't we? Because hypocrisy isn't only within the Christian church, it's everywhere. In fact, I went and checked out Webster, and Webster defines it pretty good. Let's see. It says hypocrisy is a feigning to be what one is not, or believe what one does not. It's a behavior that contradicts what one can't claims to believe or feel. Now, I'd say that's a pretty fair definition, and it's a human problem. But then notice, Webster does what I did. It equally points out that it's especially difficult when it has an appearance in virtue or religion. And I'd say that's fair. In fact, Webster, Webster calls it virtue or religion because what they're trying to say is it's, e it's even more dangerous when you claim to represent God. Let me just mention to you, have you heard of that commandment that says you shall not take the Lord your, God, the Lord your God's name in vain? How many of you grew up believing that that means when you say God, blankety blank blank? I'm just going to say that is not what it means. <laughs> Now, you were raised and your parents taught you that's what it means. And I'm just going to say with respect, your parents taught you wrong in this case. To take God's name in vain doesn't have to do with explanatives or profanity. I'm not advocating profanity, dang it. In fact, there are a lot of scriptures that tell you not to use profanity. So I'm encouraging you not to have a filthy mouth like the next guy. But that's not what that scripture's about. To take God's name in vain has to, what it means is, it means you should not represent the Lord if you really know you don't represent the Lord. That's what it means to take God's name in vain. Frankly, Christians are far more guilty of that than they are using cuss words or profanity or anything like that. We have to be very careful about that. In fact, this is why James writes to the church, and notice he says, not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. But he goes on and he talks about the accountability of a teacher, which means I have a great weight of responsibility. 
I often think about people who are eager to become pastors and teachers, and I say, just pause for a minute and think about what you're asking for. Why? Because to represent the Lord actually means something. We all will be accountable before God at varying levels. So what is it? I've, I've wasted enough time. Let's define what it is. Let's make it personal. If I'm a hypocrite, that means that I'm feigning to be what I'm not. I'm feigning to be what I'm not, or I'm leading you to believe what I don't. I'm feigning to believe what I'm not, or I'm leading you to believe what I don't. Now, I was asked to go and teach in Virginia a number of years ago. It was at a YWAM base to a group of college-age students and young adults uh, who were struggling with the, in areas of sexual integrity. And they invited me because I'm such a failure when it comes to areas of sexual integrity. I, you're, what, the person who stands before you is a recovering uh, moral failure in many, many degrees. And so I'm somebody who has really tried to not live a hypocritical life and to be the person that God has called me to be. And so I remember they asked me to define what integrity really was all about. And I started to draw it for them on a whiteboard. And somebody at this particular YWAM base, they began to draw it for me and they sent it to me. And so I thought, I need to use that. So go ahead and throw up that symbol. This is what I would say as a look of, uh, this is what I would say as a look at biblical integrity. And that is where your public self, that part of you that you project and you like to show others meets your private self that you don't want anybody to know and Christian maturity the biblical self is about bringing those things together and being a real person and frankly if you want to be a mature Christian this should be the thing that you're aiming for so it's probably a good thing for me to remind you if I'm talking about what hypocrisy is that I also mention what it isn't and I want to say this from the get-go hypocrisy is not trying Okay? If you can just write that down. Hypocrisy is not trying. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, again, let's take a look at this visual that I have coming up on the screen here. I want to say to you that becoming your biblical self, if you'd throw that up on the screen for me, just becoming your biblical self, it doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't happen overnight. How many of you, when you came to Jesus, you found, man, immediately you were perfect? Yeah, nobody. Because you know that that doesn't happen. There is a process. Now, let me tell you what did happen when you truly came to Jesus. When you truly came to Jesus, you were saved by his blood shed on the cross for you, and you were fully justified before God. He took the death you deserved. His righteousness became your righteousness. So you stand before God. The term justification is a legal term, meaning you have legally right standing before God. That is amazing. Now, you know what sanctification is? Sanctification is the process whereby I am working out what he says I already am. I am already saved. I am already fully justified before God. And I stand secure with God. But in real time, I am trying to become the person he has called me to be with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's where we live. But that process of sanctification, it doesn't happen all at once. God is working in you and through you. And it takes time. Now, you know what trying means? Trying means at least there's a good faith effort on your part to become that person. Listen, it's not an act. It's not insincere. It's not phony. I'm speaking to you now for your comfort. No, it's not perfected yet, but you're not acting either. Why? Because you're like me. 
you have some patterns, you have some habits, you have some brokenness that make it especially challenging for you to become who God has called you to be. How many of you are there with me? That doesn't mean that you're a hypocrite. In fact, it would be a good time for all of us to remember, hey, listen, we're all in process. Next week, I'm going to be talking to you about judgmentalism. That'll be really good. We're all in process. We're all struggling here. I think of somebody who asked um, G, uh, uh, G.K. Chesterton, and there was a little thing in the newspaper, and, the, and, the, and it said, what's wrong with the, world, with the world? And he wrote back an editorial comment. He said, I am. I thought, boy, that is the epitome of Christian maturity right there. Notice, he doesn't point the finger at other political groups. <laughs> He doesn't point the finger at those who he thinks are morally depraved more than he is. He says, I'm the problem. I have issues. So I want to say to you, together, the church, before we point the finger, before we lay the blame, do you want to know what the the base level of Christian maturity really is? It's humility. It's humility. It's the ability to say, I don't have this all worked out. And it's not just private humility before God, it's public humility before each other. I say this to you over and over again, let me continue to say it. It's easy to be humble before the almighty God, it's hard to be humble in front of you. But that's where the rubber meets the road, that's how you know if I'm really humble before God. I mean, big deal if before the almighty God I get on my knees, but do I get on my knees in front of you? Do I wash your feet? But no, it's not trying. You know, it cracks me up. I saw this on TikTok once, this guy saying, people say, yeah, I'm done with the church. The church is just a bunch of hypocrites. Have you heard that? Who's heard that? I'm not the only one. And he said, you know, it doesn't sound as smart as, as you know, it's not as smart as it sounds, he said. It's like saying, you know, I went to the gym the other day and I got there and would you believe it? There were all these people that were totally out of shape. What if I walked into the gym and it's like, I'm not going to the gym anymore. Place is full of a bunch of hypocrites. This gym, it's all about fitness and yet people come jiggling in, you know. (laughs) Hypocrites. Let me just say to you something. Trying is not hypocrisy. But I also want to say to you, I hate the word trying. (laughs) You know why I hate the word trying? Because trying is so passive. And frankly, it sounds so wimpy. I'm trying. No, let me tell you something. I'm with Craig Groeschel. He wrote this book that I mentioned a few months ago, The Power to Change. And he talks about the difference between trying and training. He basically says this in his book. I'll, I'll paraphrase. But he says, let's not even say that we're trying anymore. Let's say that we're in training. In fact, on your notes, just scratch out trying. Here, I had you write it down. Now I'm asking you to scratch it out. And write in the word training, because what is training? Well, let's go back to Webster here for a minute. Training is the act or process or method of one that trains. It's a skill, a knowledge, an experience acquired by one that is doing something. So unlike passive, I'm trying, training means I'm actually doing something not just to resist bad habits, but I'm employing good habits. I'm taking positive steps. 
No, I'm not perfect, but I am putting myself to work. Why do you think, by the way, I always harp on joining me for early morning prayer? Is it because, like, I'm sadomasochistic? Is it because, like, I'm, I'm just absolutely out of my mind for morning? Is it because I just want you to stop saying, oh, man, good Lord, it's morning. I want you to say, good morning, Lord, you know. Well, what's the reason that I do that? It's because I want you to begin to develop a habit of giving God the first of everything that includes your time. Meaning, God, I give you the first part of my day. Wouldn't it be amazing? You know what would stop you from being a hypocrite? If you start saying, here's a rule in my life, in my training. I'm gonna start giving God my firsts. I'm gonna give him the first of my time. I'm gonna give him the first of my money. I'm gonna give him the first of my emotions. I'm gonna give him the first of my relational equity. If you just start training by saying, I'm gonna give God my firsts. Oh my goodness, you're gonna start maturing and growing. Now, again, you're not perfect, but you're putting yourself to work. Paul, by the way, talks about training in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, you know, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And by the way, this passage is talking about ministry. It's not talking about salvation. Some people get this confused. They think Paul's talking about salvation, so they think that their salvation is in jeopardy. No, no, no. He's talking about being used by God in the lives of other people. Here's what he says. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I would share in its blessings. Then he refers to athletics. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So he says, run in such a way that you'd get the prize. Now, did you know that the words in such a way imply that there's more than one way to run? There are a lot of people that are running the Christian race, but they're not running it well. Paul says, I want you to run it well. And Paul says, I want to be the person who's God called me to be. So what does he liken it to? He says, he likens it to training. He says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict what? Training, training he says. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I run like someone not running aimlessly, and I don't fight like a boxer just beating the air. What he's saying is, I'm not just trying anymore. I'm training. Trying is passive. Training is active. To train is to commit to developing right habits. Listen, guys, all I'm saying is, I'm with Yoda on this. Do or do not. There is no try, Right? Now, what happens when you try? Why am I against trying? Why is it so wimpy? Because here's the pattern, and this has happened to me time and time and time again. Here's what happens. You try, and then you keep trying, and then you get tired of trying, and then you quit, and then you feel embarrassed that you quit. Then time goes by, and emotionally you gather yourself, so you regroup, but then you're faced with that same problem again, so what do you do? You try again, and then you keep trying again, and then you get tired of trying again, and then you quit, and then you feel embarrassed again, and round and round we go, and I got to tell you, I have a PhD in trying. No, don't try, train. In other words, start developing small habits that will build the right kind of strength within you. And listen to me, training is not hypocrisy, even if you don't get it right all the time. Paul told his protege, Timothy, he says, train yourself unto godliness. You know what that word train means in the Greek that he uses for Timothy? 
It was the word that was used for Olympians. Train naked. What was he saying to Timothy? He was saying, don't let anything distract you. Train naked. Let nothing get in the way. Some of you, the reason why you're struggling so much is you're so distracted. You're trying to train, but you also got all this other garb on you. And you're compromised. And you're not the person that God wants you to be or that you want to be. See, let me tell you what hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is this. Hypocrisy is shiny, happy people that say they have no problems. But it's not training. Scripture says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. We deceive ourselves. You guys follow me? All right, let's keep going. Why is it? Let's go faster here. Number one, why do we struggle with it? Well, we struggle because of insecurity. See, the truth is, is that many of us are on a frantic search for approval. And in the church, well, insecurity plays as religiousness. Jesus warned about this when he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees. You hypocrites, don't you see what the problem is? He says, you're like whitewashed walls. You look so good on the outside. You look beautiful, but on the inside, you're full of bones. You're full of dead stuff. Be very careful about that, he says. Watch out. Jesus goes on, he says, in the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, where does this come from? In many cases, it just comes from insecurity. I'm trying to get secure, but I'm doing it by putting on appearances. Some of you think, well, Shane, man, we should put our best foot forward before God. And I just want to say to you that if you think God only loves you when you put your best foot forward, you're never going to feel really loved. Guys, I get emotional because I learned this in my childhood. I was a PK that learned I had to learn how to say the right. I, I used to love it when adults would comment on how polite I was and my parents telling me how much I pleased them. And before I knew it, man, it was just all a fraud. And by the way, I'm the worst kind of fraud because I could be living a double life and you know, God's able to write with a crooked pencil. I could be crooked and you'd never know it because I have learned how to put on a mask. Sometimes people ask, why are, you so, why are you so blatant and why, why do you... People have been troubled by words I've used from the stage and how I've made personal confessions. I'm going to say it's the only thing that will keep my feet planted on the ground. Because, you know, I know how to say the right thing. I know how to act the right way. And that comes from a place of insecurity. Maybe you're there. And then, of course, what relates to that in this hypocrisy is a desire to belong. We all want to belong, if you'd write that down. How many of you ever heard of what's called the imposter syndrome? This is when you're deathly afraid that somebody is going to find out that you don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> so what do you do? You play a game. You act your way through. You're hoping nobody's going to actually look close enough to see you really don't know what you're doing. That happens to a lot of people in the professional workplace. And I can tell you, it is exhausting. And I'm going to say to you, I believe that some of you here this morning, you are worn out, man. Do you know what you need? You need the gospel. What's the gospel? 
It's a word we use all the time, but what does it mean? Let me say it to you this way. And I pray that the Lord Jesus would, would really illuminate this for you. Because, you know, I could preach this to you over and over again. You still won't get it unless the Holy Spirit shows it to you. I whisper a prayer to yourself, Lord, let me get it. Here's the gospel. The gospel is stop performing. You have no reason to perform any longer. God is fully pleased with you in Christ. In Christ, it is done. Let me say it another way. I like the way Tim Keller used to put it. The gospel is news of what God has done to reach us. It's not advice on what we need to do to reach God. Let me say that again. The gospel is news. What news? That Jesus came into real history. He lived the life we should have lived. He died on the cross as we deserved. He did it in our place so that his righteousness would become our righteousness. The gospel is news of that event. Right? That's what God did to reach us. But Christianity is not advice about how you're to reach God. Every other religion is that. That's not what Christianity is. Let me put it another way. Religion says do, do, do. The gospel says done, done, done. Let me put it another way. Some of you are living your life and you're trying to build a bridge toward God morally, ethically, religiously. And it looks like this picture that you see here. It's like there is this chasm and you're working very hard to get to God. And I want to say to you, you're never going to make it. You're never going to build it. In fact, you can work your whole life and only get about that far. In fact, this is what people do if you'd go to the next picture. People try to use religion and morality to bridge the chasm between them and God. And it's never going to work. The only thing that can bridge the gap is Christ's righteousness and what he did for you. It is done. Listen to me. Christianity is not Jesus plus what I do. It's just Jesus. Some of you are saying, well, then Shane, why do I have to live a good life? Listen, friends, it is not a question of you having to live a good life. If you have invited Jesus into your life, you're going to want to live the way he wants you to live because he's going to change you from the inside out. It's not a question of have-tos. It's a question of want-tos. You don't believe me? Well, study something, a little theology called the perseverance of the saints. Listen, those who are really saved and have Jesus living in them, they stay saved It's not something they lose because they have been born again. (laughs) They have been changed. Now, you could be religious your whole life and that never happened to you. You could be in a Christian church your whole life and that never happened to you because you're still doing do, 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 not done. Do you see what I'm saying? This is important to take a minute on. Religion emphasizes the importance of sacrifice, devotion, ritual, Uh, how much you do for God, how you should please God. But the gospel emphasizes the importance of the sacrifice and the work of Jesus that is done. You guys get the point. That's the gospel. So, okay, one more. What what makes us hypocrites? Write this down. People-pleasing. That'll lead to hypocrisy. The Bible says that the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord... See, 
Friends, I just want to say to you, it's not a question of, are you looking for someone's approval? There's not a person here that is not looking for approval. Whether you think you are or not, you are. The question is, whose approval are you looking for? That's the question. I like the way Oswald Chambers put it when he said, you know, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. See, if you don't have a healthy fear of God operating in your life, you fear the disapproval of people, so you're trying to live up to that standard. But if you fear God, you think, well, it doesn't matter what people think. They can know I'm an idiot. By the way, I get connection cards from people all the time. I'm going to call you out right now if you're one of the ones. Nobody ever puts their name to it. They always sign it anonymous, so I have no idea who I'm calling out. Apologies if I offend you, but I get a card from people all the time saying, you know, it's a sin to say idiot. Don't call people an idiot. And I just want to say to you, yeah, well, at least I'm not a hypocrite. I'm being honest with you. I, I've got issues. Idiot doesn't actually mean rocket anyway, but we can go into that conversation another time. Now, the New Testament church, what was it about them that made the difference? Notice it says, everyone was filled with awe at the wonders of what God was doing. See, the secret of the New Testament church is that there was a sense that, God, we are in wonder over you. We are in awe. Everything else, it's just superficial compared to you. And so, God, we fear you and we love you. So how do we minimize it? Write this down. Here's the first thing. Number one, you've got to remember who you are after Christ comes in. It always begins with identity. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a, the church? First and foremost, it should mean there's been an identity change. Listen, friends, you are going to have to decide what defines your life. I can't decide that for you. What are you going to allow your life to be measured by? Let me say this to you very directly. Some of you claim Jesus, but you measure your life by many other things besides Jesus. And by the way, you're raising your kids to measure their life by lots of other things besides Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, everything should be absolutely secondary and superficial compared to the value. You know how Jesus put it? If you think I'm making this up, Jesus said, listen, you should hate your father and mother compared to loving me. Now, did he really mean that you should hate them? No, what he, he was using hyperbole, but he meant compared to everything else, everything else should be hate compared to the amount of love you have for me. Listen, a Christian is somebody who says, before my career, before my education, before my ambitions, listen to me, before my ethnicity, before my nationality, before my family, before my culture, listen to me, before my sexual desires and my sexual preferences, before my politics, before my social economic status, I first and foremost am a child of the king, everything else is gravy. I am a daughter of the Most High God. I am a member of the church. This is why membership, by the way, is so important. Can I say to some of you, stop dating the church. <laughs> membership to the church is so important. I am a member of his church. I am not just a believer. What am I? I'm a belonger. I belong to something. I am who he says I am. I will be who he calls me to be. 
I am his. You want to save yourself from hypocrisy? You've got to get your identity right. Who are you first and foremost? Second, write this down. You've got to take a good look at your heart. Friends, hypocrisy first doesn't come from a duplicitous life. It comes from a duplicitous heart. Now the scripture says what characterized the early church is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? It means that they devoted themselves to good doctrine. They devoted themselves to right teaching. Do you know what we do today? And I don't even know who, I don't even know where this started. But what we do today is we make feelings our God and then we try and conform the teaching to the feelings. And because we're dating the church, we go to whatever church agrees with us. Instead of studying the scripture, making sure, first of all, we know what we're talking about. And then saying, how do I conform my life to fit what it says? That's what a Christian does. And when the Holy Spirit is working in you, that's what you will do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But that's not all. They devoted themselves to. It says they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. See, again, where does this come from? Would you go to that visual of integrity for me for just a minute? Just throw that back up there if you go outside. Where does that come from? That comes from devoting yourself to something. Some people are like, well, I trust Jesus. And I'm like, well, no, you don't. You know why? Let me tell you why. Write this down. Faith is an action. It's not just an intention. You can say to me, well, I have good intentions. Well, yeah, guys, here's the problem. This is where hypocrisy comes from. Here, just follow me for a minute. Your faith is out here. Your faith is in your hand. It's all outward. You're doing things, but your faith is not in here. Or conversely, hypocrisy can come when, yeah, you've got all this intention. Your faith is in here, but it never works its way out here. Do you see these things aren't lining up? That's what makes a hypocrite. God says, look, it needs to be here. But if it's really here, it'll show here. This is how faith works. It's an action. It's not just intention. Jesus put it this way. He says, listen, why don't you stop calling me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I say? By the way, there's another by the way, honey. When he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Do we all know what, that's, what that means in Semitic culture? See, if he would have said it once, that would have meant they believed the right stuff. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? That means they believe in the right stuff. They have the right belief system up here. But he doesn't just say Lord. What does he say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? In a Semitic culture, to repeat the main, to repeat the name means I don't just believe it up here. I feel it in here. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Meaning, your people, you don't just believe it, you feel it. You're the people that weep at the altars. You're the people that raise your hands, but you still don't do what I say. Listen, we've got to take a good look at our heart, me included. And then if you just write down this third thing, we'll be done. Write this down. I've got to reduce my hypocrisy through greater accountability to others. Why? Why? Because, friends, humility, 
Humility doesn't begin in the closet with God where you're saying, God, I'm so humble before you. God, I love you. God, I confess. Listen, if you're really confessing your sin, if you're really humble before God, you'll get real with other people. That's the real test of your humility. You reduce your hypocrisy through accountability. Some of you need to get in small groups. I was just talking to Derek Monreal, who's sitting right here. They've got a small group that meets today at one o'clock. If you're not in when he invited you, right? All hundred people can go in that lounge right there at one o'clock. But you need to reduce hypocrisy through your accountability. In other words, can I just speak pastorally to you? Don't, Don't zone out. Okay, listen to me for just a minute. Here's what you need to do. You need to find somebody in your life. You need to go to them and you say, listen, I need you to speak truthfully and ruthlessly into my life. Listen, don't be one of these friends that's like, oh, you're okay, it's all good. Do you know what we do to each other today? It's the worst possible thing. We're indifferent. (laughs) I just want you happy, but I'm indifferent to everything else. No, find somebody who will speak ruthlessly into your life and say, I'm gonna tell you the truth sensitively. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I want you happy, but this is off, and I think you should think about this. Let me pray with you. Let me walk with you. We're gonna talk on judgmentalism next week. I can't wait to do that. But listen, I'll give, you, I'll give you a short thing. I'll give you a short thing, and that's this. We need to stop judging people in a way that makes us superior, and we need to start coming alongside people and bringing them in and saying, I wanna walk this walk with you. How can we do that together? Father, Lord, we turn to you. We just, we just ask that you'd meet us right where we are. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. Jesus, I pray that you would just teach us according to your word and help us, Lord, together. God, we need you. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, who doesn't know the gospel, would you reveal yourself to them and show up big in their life? Teach them. God, we ask that you'd help us to be holy. We're all in training. We're not perfect, but give us the desire to be holy. Oh, the beauty that comes from that. God, we give you our lives and we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You know, I didn't mention this, but I do want to mention right after this service, I'm providing lunch. I mentioned a couple weeks ago for anybody who wants to talk about, it's been, it's, uh, you know, culturally pride month and lots of families have said, how do we as a church respond to that? And how do we respond to those? If you want to talk about that, I'm going to do a Q&A and peace five right after this service. You're more than welcome. It's going to be a prayer time and a time of Q&A, short teaching. Uh, but if you want to join us, you don't have to have signed up. I'll, I'll take you in there and answer any questions that you've got. Uh, just want to do that as a pastor here just to address some of those issues with you, especially if you're struggling. Uh, but guys, listen, if you want to know Jesus, pray with somebody over here, loving men and women that love to pray with you. Also, if you're new, see somebody at the welcome tent. Love you guys. Hope you have a great day. God bless you. <laughs>